1: Where has that sort of performance been from City all of this year? Where has that sort of performance been from Liverpool all of this year too? Was that a statement of intent for the next season or does it just show that City are well in the hunt for the FA Cup and Champions League in the weeks that remain? We've known for a while that City's success this term depended on the knockout competitions and the victory at Newcastle under their belts they've got another trip to Wembley on the cards. That's now eight times Guardiola has taken his team there and that doesn't include the two Premier League games there against Spurs. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we're also for celebrating City's birthday goal scorers. That's after Kevin De Bruyne joined the list on Sunday. Plus, Howard Hawking is back to discuss how football has changed post-pandemic and we'll take your questions in Ask the Panel 2. I'm your host, David Mooney. With me, I've got a pair of City fans, starting with Paul Adderton. In the means. And Richard Burns. Hello. So, uh, first, first things first, gents. Uh, obviously, we're, we're recording directly after the, uh, the, the 4-0 which should have been a 5-0, let's be honest, win against uh, Liverpool. Um, Paul, did that Did that performance tell you that this team isn't a busted flush? I think it
2: did, yeah. Um, I mean, before that game, I was thinking that there's, got, there's still a lot of development to be doing to compete with Liverpool, the way they've been this season. And some of the points the City have drop, dropped out throughout the season had me a bit concerned. But, I mean, the team that they played then was Liverpool's strongest team, pretty much, and... I know, and obviously it didn't mean as much, but I, I don't think they would have wanted to be to be embarrassed in the way that they did. It That's meant more. I think incre- it meant more. It always means more. I know. More. Yeah, I, know but <laughs> I think. I think mean that. I think uh, as as was said in the commentary, I think that was the first step of the kind of rebuild. You know, good for the confidence to know that they can beat that team, which is their first eleven. Um, and it's quite. I think it's quite hard for Liverpool to strengthen in a weird way because that that first eleven for Liverpool almost picks itself. So I don't know who they're going to get. That's going to like sit straight into that team and kind of you know their eleven is kind of their eleven almost. I would say.
1: I suppose as well, Richard. It's it's not just the fact that they've beaten them. It's the fact that it that it was such a beating.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's. I think lots of people will point out, and mainly Liverpool fans will point out, this result has. No bearing on the league this season. The title's done and dusted. Liverpool probably had taken their foot off the gas. Um, you could suggest, as the commentators suggested several times, that um, some celebrations that they've had may have played into that performance. And it certainly looked like that when um, at, at times with some of the mistakes they were making. I tell you um, what,
1: though. City from the, the Centurion season wouldn't have got done 4-0 at, at, like, in their first game after winning the league
3: this is this is what i was going to say the um the liverpool weren't on it and it's i think it's fair to say that and it's fair to accept that this result isn't reflective of the season and any golfing overall quality between the two teams but what it is is it's a marker because paul said liverpool didn't come there to get beat they put the best team out they might have been able to say all right we always know that you can get beat at City in any circumstance, so we can live with that. 4-0, and it could and should have been more, 4-0 is a real, real beating against one of your big rivals, and what it does is it it sets a marker. It, it's City saying, we know how good you are, and we can still do this to you, because we're still pretty good too. City are going to go and strengthen this summer. I agree completely with Paul that it's hard to see what Liverpool do to, to strengthen, um, and what the the trap that they could fall into now is the one that city have fallen into almost every time they've won the league of not going out and strengthening because you look like everything's perfect and you are set for a period of dominance when actually what what we know from experience and we're still not really great at is you you have to strengthen from that position of dominance You, you you strengthened from a position of strength and you become more and more and more formidable united were always good at that it, it played massively into their period of absolute dominance so i think what, what we've seen tonight is to use your question your original question they clearly aren't a busted flush they've got things they need to improve on those things i think are mainly at the back and i think that's plainly obvious um but they hurt a very very good team tonight and make no mistake that will have hurt Liverpool. They'll forget about it very, very quickly. But just so you think the next time they come to the Etihad, their memory is the four nil defeat they've just had. It's the two one defeat they had last season that cost from the league. It's the five nil defeat that they had the season before. That is a pattern, and City have continued it tonight. So I'm I'm, I'm very very happy with the result. Big picture is um, of the season is it means nothing, but big picture beyond this season it. It means a lot. I really think it means a lot.
1: Paul, is it frustrating that that it's that City have only been able to put in this performance after the title is done and dusted? If they if they'd been able to do this, you know, just the other side of Christmas, they might have given themselves a chance.
2: I d- I don't think so. I, th- I think um, we'd have had to have been exceptional and kept at the level we have done to have even gotten near Liverpool. I mean, they're on track for various. Um, Records as well. I think they still are for, for for some of them. So not really. I think they're a worthy winner, or more than worthy winner. Um, we've had to be at our best to beat them. I don't think Liverpool were the best today when we played them, but they still are a strong side. Um, so now I think sometimes you've got to put your hands up um, and just accept it. Really,
1: yeah. But can we say honestly that this Liverpool side are a great side if they don't win more than one trophy in a season or they don't do back to back titles? That's the question, though, isn't it? I think. <laughs> I think as a, I think as a
2: as a as a team of eleven, I think <laughs> you can say that side. You know, rather than kind of a legacy or a dynasty, almost like you know, a two three year dynasty, perhaps not. Because um, I don't think they've got the strength and depth. But in terms of the last two years, they've had, they just they just been you know relentless. Um, a lot of it driven by the fullbacks and the front three.
1: Still, only two trophies though, isn't it, Richard?
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I personally don't really settle for anything less than three or four these days if we, <laughs> if we include the Community Shield, which... Which um, we do
1: when we win it, yeah.
3: I was going to say, I seem to remember Liverpool losing that final again as well this season. But anyway, um, the, the listen, they're a great team. Um, they're possibly not facing the same scrutiny that City faced when... They were when they won the league, um, and had it wrapped up in december, so i, I see what your questions getting at, and then I think in your notes, you put a winky face next to that
1: question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it's been a bit cheeky, you're right yeah
3: yeah it's it's a cheeky question, but it's a fair one um be, because next season, if city come back and win the league again, that'll be three out of four for city and one in four for Liverpool suddenly looks a little bit less impressive, so i'll be uh, I'll be hanging my hat on that, I hope. <laughs>
1: Well let's I mean let's let's talk about the game itself because um it wasn't without incident at, at, at the back as well for City because as good as they were going forward, Paul, they were still making those I, I, I don't I don't know if it's sloppy errors, but how I mean, how much did they give it away in, in a dangerous position?
2: Yeah, I mean uh Rodri got caught ball watching didn't he by Fabinho I think I think City is so used to having the ball in a you know quite advanced areas or within the their own half receiving press and then playing the way out of it but they're forgetting that Liverpool are one of the best teams to play the press you know they, they, they come from all sort of areas and it comes in in patches um, so I think that needs to be fixed a little bit I think even though as Richard said it could have been more equally I think Liverpool could have had a couple couple of goals. I think they were poor going forward Liverpool and defending actually. A lot of mistakes on their part. But as you said um you know Guardiola wasn't happy at half time because we were making errors. Um they could have had a couple of goals in that game.
1: I suppose it it kind of though sums up the story of the season Richard in that that city. Uh, well, I, actually for once they didn't get punished for making those errors.
3: Yeah, um I th- I think this is this is a bit of an unfinished thought. This one, so I'll see where I go with it. So bear with me. <laughs> I love them. These are always <laughs> great fun. One of um, one of City's great strengths under Pep, and the strength of any Pep team, as a result of his sort of relentless and incredible coaching. Is that his teams appear to play almost on autopilot at times? And that is so much the case that at times it's almost been used as a criticism because it's like it, City have been criticised for being boring and for being too predictable. And, you know, we saw the last, maybe not so much this season, but the previous two title winning seasons, how many times did we score that goal where we got it to the byline, cut it across, and there's a tap in from any player who's waiting in the six-yard box. like The movements that City make on and off the ball, the passes that they make, it's all automatic. They, they never seem to have to look up. Um, and they've made it look dead easy for a couple of years now. Pep's Barca team did that to the point that they were arguably the best team that has ever played football. And his Bayern team did it. And this season, we've seen so many games that have fallen on maybe not been decided by individual mistakes but key moments in games have turned on individual mistakes or if they've not turned because we've got away with them like we did a few times tonight um or like we did against Newcastle and I'm sure I, we'll I was play. gonna
1: say yeah that, that I mean that that could have been a different game if yeah. Newcastle make it 1-1 with what was it about 20 minutes to go yeah and that that came from Otamendi
3: giving the ball away and they're the kind of things that
1: haven't happened
3: so much. They ha- they've happened to an extent because mistakes happen in football. No no team will ever be completely perfect. But those things haven't really happened over the last two years. And I think when City make those kind of mistakes where it's a simple giving away of possession and you, you look at it and wonder what on earth was the player thinking, what, what my unfinished thought here is, is that the player will have been thinking something like, it. it's because, is the mistake that he's he's not looked up or is it that the player who, that they've rehearsed over and over and over again, the player that's meant to be waiting for him has pushed up when he wasn't meant to? Has he not got the direction from midfield because Fernandinho wasn't there? Fernandinho's played a lot in defence this season, we know that. Like, there is something somewhere on the pitch that is not ticking. Like, it's like a like a cog that isn't working properly that is, has that is functioned, Completely fine for the last two seasons. It's got um, a few, a
1: few missing teeth on the cog.
3: Yeah, does that make sense? Do you see what I'm getting? Yeah, at? I, I can't. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not the system
1: to, is still is still working fine, but maybe one or two parts of it are not quite optimum.
3: Yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to absolve players of. Um, of like personal accountability in this there's a lot of it but i just feel like it's indicative of i don't know whether it's that old cliche of i mean gary neville said it's night is it lack of leadership at the back without company being there i don't know but it's I, i think those mistakes this season have really really stood out and we've seen is it seven league defeats we've had um we've I mean, that's really uncharacteristic of a, of a Pep team and it's certainly uncharacteristic of um, of what we've seen from City in the last couple of years when they've been incredibly hard to beat. Um, and But the good thing about that is I think there are things that can be ironed out. I don't want to say easily because that does a massive disservice to, to what Pep does and the talent at his disposal. But I think with that talent, the mistakes are all correctable. There's nothing in that that signals some kind of long-term decline or, again, to use that phrase, busted, flushed. There's none of that in what City do. There's things that need to be corrected, but there's nothing there that says they can't be corrected. And once they do, it'll be oiled and, and, and running smoothly again. And I, I have great confidence in that. If, hopefully that makes some kind of sense.
1: All of that said, Paul, you look at uh, how City have played when Eric Garcia has come into the team, especially alongside Laporte, they've looked like a really good partnership.
2: They have. And I think, I think, just echo what Richard said, I think part of this has to be, part of the struggles throughout the year it has to be the fact that the company's gone. Stones is always injured, Laporte was injured and I think one that was probably noticed more than you realise is Inchenko was injured. So we've never had a chance to build a stable back four that hasn't had Otamendi in it making two or three mistakes a game. <laughs> um, so it's it's been, it's been difficult. So, you know, you, you've looked back at City's strong defence, you think of company and Lescott. That was kind of it picked itself, you knew, you knew the, the bat, the bat two pairing, and it was quite comfortable. We just haven't got that yet. Um, and I think Garcia, he does look good on the ball, but you, you look at the port, and he's very rarely out of position and he, he just kind of recovers. Whereas I've seen Garcia a couple of times just kind of trailing, and um, you know, I think he needs a run out for the rest of the season to see. But the, the more he's getting game time, you are seeing a couple of mistakes creeping in. But I certainly think he, he's, he's a good squad player with a lot of potential I I just haven't seen enough of actual pure defending to judge it really whether that's a long term partnership
1: Harry's is sponsoring Blue Moon Podcast. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Uh, while we're talking about beards and shaving, gentlemen, let's but let, best beards on a city player. Who are you going for, Richard? Let's let's have a, let's have some suggestions. Uh.
3: Right, I've delved into our recent past for this. The best beard I remember on a Manchester City player
1: was uh, Alvaro Negredo.
3: Good beard. Was, oh it, well, Negredo could shave in the morning and he'd have a full beard by the evening. <laughs> it was like it was like he was growing it at will. Yeah, um, he, he's my absolute all time City beard hero.
1: You know how just, they say like baby faced assassin. He, he didn't he didn't look like a baby even when he was a baby. You know what I mean.
3: Oh, yeah, he, I reckon he was probably born with a full beard. <laughs> uh, Paul, any, any better beards out
1: there, do you reckon?
2: Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this. I was thinking of Bodjanov, but then I realised he didn't actually have a beard, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for him. Um, I go with current player, I think Mendy. Looks like he's fresh out of a barber shop, doesn't he, all the time. It's too. I don't uh, know, if
1: it, is it too styled? Is it, is it too styled to be the best beard? Uh,
2: yeah, I think he must... Literally spend you know three four days a week in a barber shop or something doing
1: that. He doesn't. He doesn't Um, practice defending though, does he? That's the thing. Is if if he's if he's doing anything, he's he's growing beards and not defending. That's what it is.
3: Yeah. And ultimately, he's trying to grow himself an automatic disguise on his face (laughs) for one of after one of his big
1: mistakes. Well, uh, those two guys could probably do with a trial set from Harry's in that case. To ensure the best quality blades, Harry's bought a factory in Germany that's been making them for over 100 years. The factory team has more than 600 engineers, designers and craftsmen, and chemists to make Harry's products from the finest materials and ingredients. All of this ensures a quality shave at a fair price. As a Blue Moon podcast listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial sets for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, Five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover by going to harrys. dot com forward slash moon right now. That's harrys. dot com forward slash moon. <laughs> uh, let's talk uh, going forward though for City though, Paul, because uh, Raheem Sterling. I mean, a, a cracking goal against Newcastle. He's broken his duck in the Premier League now against Liverpool. He did it in the uh, in the Community Shield at the start of the season as well. Um, any of the form issues he was having before the before lockdown started. It uh, seems to have been just just they're forgotten now, are they?
2: Yeah, I mean, he seems to have come back and um, just is it the thing about Sterling is he seems to consistently get in these goal scoring areas. He might miss one or two tappings a game, but he'll score two and assist one. He just seems to have this knack of getting in the right place, and um, you know there's probably very few in the world in world football that's able to kind of consistently do that. Um, so yeah, I've not noticed a dip in his form. It was good to see as well that the Newcastle goal was a bit different. It was it was a shot outside the area. You know, usually he's kind of coming on the end of a cross or, or through on goal, whereas this was actually quite you know good technique.
1: Richard, um, uh, here comes the, the the question that that City fans are, 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 are I think are always talking about: Where do you play Raheem Sterling? Left, right, or centre? Where what suits him best? Um. I really, really like him coming
3: off the left. I really, really do. Um, there was a time when that wasn't the case and then I think it was, I'm sure I've said this on the, on the podcast before, I think it was last season in the 6-0 against Chelsea where he played on the left and he had equator all ends up. I think he's still spinning round from that game. Um, it, it was a world-class performance from Sterling that day. City were... Maybe the best performance of the season was one of the best performances under Pep. Um, And he was involved in absolutely everything. He dominated the entire game. Um, And I think that that game alone gave me a really different perspective of, of what he can do from the left. When he's on form, which is most of the time, um, when he's on form he can play any of those positions and I've I've thought for a long time that the natural progression for him is to move more and more central. Um I see no reason why um why that wouldn't be the case for him because he he's good at driving at a defence, he, he carries the ball well. His finishing um okay, he has had a bit of a dip with that this season. Um sort of I think I think it was after Christmas, if I remember rightly when that the seasons felt so long now that um I I forget exactly when this <laughs> happened. But officially
1: think, the longest season on record, so we can forgive yeah. you.
3: That. Um but he, he has he's he's come back uh, from the lockdown obviously he got the the first goal of the um the post COVID nineteen era and he's he's not looked back from that. He's, I think maybe he's had time to um sort of shake off the cobwebs a little bit and and he looks fine now. Like and and like Paul says, it is. It's really really encouraging that he's getting different types of goals. The Newcastle one was it was on the end of a great team move, but with a a world class finish. And then tonight it's a it's a much. He's on the end of a great team move again, but he's had to take the step inside and then sort of subtly finish it um, and, and almost disguise it a little bit. It's a it's great technique, and it suggests that he's getting better and better at those goals that some that require a lot of thought, but also those. Those instinctive ones, we know that I think one of Sterling's, the, the criticism that has followed him around since he was 17 is that he's, um, he's not always great when he's got time to think about a finish. And we've seen examples of that this season plenty of times. It is, um, it's looked to more valid criticism again at, at times this year, to be fair. But post-lockdown, we're seeing the best Sterling again where those that issue isn't really dogging him Um He's great. He's a, he's a great player, and I'm I'm happy with him in in any position along the front. I really like him off the left, and I think long term, I, I I can see him through the middle definitely.
1: Well, let's talk uh, about the play just behind him at the moment, because Paul, how good is the Phil Foden Kevin De Bruyne partnership shaping up to be?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was almost inevitable that it happened, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, the pass from the port to to, to uh, Foden. You know, it was incredible The cross. It was like a crossfield pass, but it had to be within a yard or two. But um, for Foden to take it in his stride and run with it—is you know, those plays are rare, the ones that can dribble at people and take them on, but still kind of make a pass at pace. And that's what happened with the Sterling goal. In terms of um, Foden, he's another one of them in the sort of the De Bruyne fold where he can do that. He, he can't just pass around like the way Silver can. He will run at you, he will be direct, he will take shots. So it's good now to have. People like Mares, Sterling, De Bruyne, and Foden that are all going to be direct. They can pass, but they can also just shoot, and they're all like quite clinical. So I'm quite excited by that that dynamic that they both got. Um, it's one of them where you just play your best players and let them find the position for themselves, and I think they're doing that already.
1: Do you think, Paul, that Foden? I mean, he's he's hyped a lot by City fans. It's it's the hype. It's starting to, to kind of escape from the, the the City bubble and other teams and other other people are starting to realise just how good he is.
2: I think they are because, you know, we have been guilty over the years to, to pick a player and think, you know, the, this, this person's going to be the next big thing. But as I've said previously, Foden's probably first touch is probably in the top five of the whole squad. <laughs> it's, you know, you can't kind of make that up if you look at the quality of the squad. His actual technical ability is up there as the best in the in the squad, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think he's being noticed by the rest of the um, you know rest rest of the sort of press as well and other teams. But the reason is is because a lot of players when they break through have limited opportunities, which which he's had. But when he's had them, even twenty minutes a game, he seems to invariably score or assist or be creative or create a chance. He's just so hungry. And he's in the De Bruyne, De Bruyne style. He's always around a goal in some way, shape, or form. So I think he's. Um, I don't think this is going to peter out. I think he is going to have a great career, and I think he is going to be really good for City.
1: Well, speaking of uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Richard, um, why has he not been on penalties sooner? Four from four now.
3: Well, I mean, he's he's got a knack for them, hasn't he? I mean, there was the um, there was the, the talk when City were missing loads of penalties, and everybody kept saying, "Why not? Uh, why not put?" De Bruyne are on them and everybody kept saying well ever since he missed that one against Everton he said he'd never take one again and then he was asked about it and he said I'm here I'll take one if I'm asked and it was all of a sudden well there's your solution then his, his uh, actual
1: line was so good because I remember hearing him say it and it was just like he's he, talking about Guardiola he just said if he wants me to kick the ball I'll kick the ball <laughs> it's just yeah. such a relaxed way to to approach it
3: yeah um, I think it was uh, John Hay, who obviously has been on this podcast a few times, wrote on Twitter tonight. What a shock that the lad who's best at kicking the football is the best at penalties. And it's it's a simple way of looking at it, but it's it's sort of bearing out into. He's great at them. He just looks completely relaxed, completely focused. Um, the the, the that guy is. Absolutely on fire at the moment, um, and and not just from the penalty spot. So it's nice that we're getting a few penalties to up his goals tally. Um, but he, I mean, he, he's taking it at the moment. He, he's playing the game on a different level to to anybody else in the Premier League. Um, and it's I, I'm glad it's I'm, I'm glad it's yielding goals because he, he, he deserves them. And long long may it continue. He's just phenomenal. What a, what a footballer.
1: Well, the uh, the penalty against Newcastle gave Kevin De Bruyne the uh, opportunity to join the club of City players who have scored on their birthdays. The Belgian netted on the day that he turned 29. And here's Sam Roscoe to talk through some of the others who've also had twice the reason to celebrate a goal.
0: As far as we know, Kevin De Bruyne became the 17th player to score for City on their birthday. He was happy with the performance at Newcastle.
1: We started the game really well. I think we were really sharp at the beginning and we put them under pressure. But I think, yeah, we should just score more, but we, we played really well and we created uh, enough chances to score a lot of goals.
0: It's always nice to get on the score sheet too, particularly on your birthday. Happy birthday. <sighs> and um, you. you seem to be the number one penalty taker here right now.
1: Yeah, you know, we we had a few problems uh, the, this year and uh, the, I think uh, the gaffer asked me to step up against Madrid and well, I scored a couple now, so um,
0: if I'm the taker, I'll, I will try. We're saying as far as we know because it's not quite as straightforward to work out as you'd think. Adam Carter from the Stats City website allowed us to use his data to search, but he explained the problem.
4: Whilst it's not a complete list of players who've scored on their birthday, because we don't know all the dates of birth from the early days, uh, the earliest record we have is probably Tom Smelt. Now, interestingly, he scored away at Grimsby. It was a 4-1 defeat back in 1927. It was his 25th birthday He only ever played two games uh, for City, that being his last.
0: If Tom Smelt's goal is the first time a player scored on their birthday, then it took over 30 years since City were founded for it to happen. There's never been a gap of that long since. Before De Bruyne, it was Nolito who was the last birthday scorer, equalising late on in a one-all draw with Everton in 2016. He spoke to City TV... His
4: interview is translated. The important thing today was winning, but uh, we couldn't do it in the end. Uh, we get a, a point. We. We got a, we lack of a little a bit of luck because we did a great game, but uh, his goalkeeper did an amazing job today. Yeah, it's a typical match. We arrive a lot, uh, but we couldn't finalise our our plays. And football is like this; no, not always wins the, the best team on the on the pitch. They score just in the only chance they had, and we create many chances, but we can, uh, we couldn't score in the end. So that's why we are a bit sad for that.
0: He turned 30 that day, but that doesn't make him the oldest birthday scorer. That's a record held jointly by Fred Tilson, who scored in a 4-2 loss to Portsmouth at Main Road back in 1935, and Alan Oakes, who netted at Coventry in a 2-2 draw in 1975. Both turned 32 on those days. In contrast, the youngest birthday scorer still plays for City now, Raheem Sterling got a brace in a 4-2 win over Borussia Mönchengladbach in 2015 on the day he turned 21.
3: I'm just happy I could have helped the team and the team really dug deep today and showed some real great character to come back from behind and, and, and get the winner.
4: And any plans to celebrate tonight? A little piece of cake? Or?
3: <laughs> um, I, I don't know yet. Hopefully my mum's got me some Costco cake. She knows it's my favourite so hopefully that Costco cake is waiting for me at home. Um, just some food with my family and, and that's the most important thing now.
4: Well you certainly put on your birthday shoes for the occasion so... Uh...
3: Um, I didn't pick these to be fair, they're a bit too shiny for my liking but um, they'll they'll do the job for tonight so yeah I'll probably get a little bit of stick but no, nah, that's that's right.
0: De Bruyne isn't the first player to do it for City in the FA Cup either. That honour probably goes to Ernie Toesland. Here's the Pathé news report from his 29th birthday as City beat Aston Villa 6-1 in the FA Cup semi-final in
4: 1934. 6-1. What a shock. It hardly seems true and Villa, six times winners of the Cup, had fought their way to the semi-finals via Sunderland, Spurs and Arsenal. Manchester City, who won the Cup once, were last year's runners-up. Toesland, the City's right winger, was the hero of the day. He was like a streak of lightning and completely mystified the loser's defence. Hard luck, Villa. Well played the City, see you at the North vs South Wembley.
0: The only other FA Cup birthday scorer we could find was James Milner from when City beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-1 in 2015. That was the day Milner turned 29.
4: It was important to get the results today and, uh, you know, I'm pretty used to playing FA Cup on my birthday. It's happened a lot, so you used to it. But um, yeah, it was nice to get the win. You know, we didn't play well at all. Um, but um, the FA Cup's about getting results and we managed to do that.
0: And as you might expect from someone of his character, his plans for the evening were typically understated.
4: We'll see. We might just go for something to eat or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a nice way to celebrate a birthday, to get a win.
0: Perhaps the most important birthday goal, though, was scored by Francis Lee. His penalty put City 2-0 up in a game they go on to win 2-1 on the 29th of April in 1970. They were playing in Vienna, in Austria, in the European Cup Winners' Cup final against Gornik Zabresi. And it was the day the striker turned 26.
4: Francis Lee. Take the penalty. Well, the good uh, fast bowler's run up.
2: Rain absolutely teeming down. Was a bit lucky. The power
0: took it through the legs. There are perhaps two other standout birthday scorers. Carlos Tevez is the only City player to have scored a hat-trick on his birthday, netting three times against West Brom as he turned 27 in February 2011. Then there's Niall Quinn, who is the only player to score for City on two different birthdays. He did it first on his 24th in a 2-1 win against Coventry at Main Road in 1990, and then he followed that up by scoring in a 2-1 League Cup win at Reading three years later. It's not often that players get the chance to score on their birthday, and even rarer for someone like Kevin De Bruyne with a June celebration. City have been fortunate too because they've only lost three of the 18 games where it's happened.
1: I'm Clive Tilsley. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Barmy night Barcelona, all that. Yeah, that Clive Tilsley. Um, you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Enjoy.
0: Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Sam Roscoe looking at uh, some of the City players that have scored on their birthdays. Um, just for this, I thought what we'd do is uh, have a quick look about what had happened to City on our birthdays. Uh, so, Paul, do you want to tell everybody when it is? 18th of March. 18th of March. City have played 19, won six, drawn six, lost seven. So not a great record. Um, but back in 1972, Rodney Marsh made his debut on your or, or what would be your birthdays. Obviously, you weren't born back in uh, back in 1972. Uh, it was a 1-0 home win over Chelsea. Uh, the only other thing of note that we could find find was uh 2006 Ishmael Miller made his debut and that was uh home against Wigan and that was a 1-0 defeat so I'd, I'd say a mixed bag for you really yeah definition of a mixed bag <laughs>
2: um, if you could pick two random games I think, that, <laughs> I think they would be it but you've done well to find two debuts there
1: well you? uh for me I, I'm on play 13-1-3 drawn uh to lost six um so again not a, not a great record for the 13th of November um 1996 was Phil Neal's first match as a caretaker boss was my birthday. Um, And the only other thing of note I could find was in 2010, Roque Santa Cruz played his final game for City, which was a 0-0 draw, a a 0-0 thriller at home to Birmingham. How long had Santa Cruz been at the club after that, though? Um, I don't know, because he'd signed the start of the season before. So um, that would have only been his second season. So if he'd signed a five-year deal, God knows how long he would have still been around. Uh, Richard, um, your birthday is
3: you're going to do well with mine but it's got uh, it's got scope to change soon uh, my birthday is the 18th of July
1: i was going to say absolutely nothing that i could find happened to city on your on your birthday they might have they might have signed some players they might have not i don't but, know i've not I, don't, I didn't check that but uh, but yeah there is the fa cup semi final coming up on your birthday which will be the first game city have played on it,
3: it yeah um one of the the many good things about having a birthday almost smack bang in the middle of the summer is it being completely free from city having any potential to ruin it or even i mean even just getting in the way of making plans uh, and now 7:45 on my birthday an FA Cup semi final i'm hoping david louise plays because it's always nice to have a clown at a birthday party <laughs> <laughs> um the the only other things that i know have happened on or around my birthday um i'm pretty sure the Wright-Phillips and Anelka sales were either like the 17th or 19th. I think Wright-Phillips might have handed in his, his request on my birthday. It might have been the day after, though, but it was very, very close. Um, and the only other game I ever remember us playing on my birthday was my 10th birthday. We had a friendly at home against Sunderland and it was at Main Road. It was 0-0. Um, that ticket was a birthday present along with my season ticket. And I remember when they were doing the announcements before the game and my mum and dad sort of making sure that I was listening attentively and I had no idea what was coming because I clearly wasn't a very sharp (laughs) um, 10-year-old.
1: Nothing changes, does it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not 10 anymore.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, they read out a a happy birthday from mum and dad message and I thought it was the best thing ever. It was certainly better than the game. I remember that much.
1: Lovely stuff. Uh, Well, I want to say a big thank you to Adam Carter at Stat City, who uh, basically gave me free reign of his database and and ran some searches for me on those dates. Um, I thought thought it would be fascinating to see what happens uh, on all of our birthdays. It turns out it wasn't. So there we go. (laughs) Um, Let's have a look ahead now. Uh, City got two games coming up, uh, Southampton and uh, Newcastle again. Uh, Paul, I'm going to start with you. How, how are you feeling about these games now after after battering Liverpool in the way that they've done? Because before it, I was kind of thinking, oh, God, God uh, they, they, it feels like the rest of the season's now a slog. But actually, after that performance, I'm feeling quite upbeat about it. I think so. I think with
2: Liverpool winning the league after the Chelsea game, it kind of, the, the, the inevitable was kind of settled. You know, you know, it was kind of a clean slate almost. You know, I think Liverpool probably came at a good time actually where you know we were motivated to play them and kind of you know prove that even though we didn't win the title we were worthy competition and probably performed you know one of our best performances of the season actually. So I think the next few games are just an opportunity now to kind of establish who's going to be in the club long term a mixture of you know David Silva playing his last games but equally keep making sure that Kevin De Bruyne and um, Phil Foden sort of axis carries on building. Um, I think Mares will be good to play more games as well. So no, I think it's I think it's good. I think we've there's been such a break that actually missed football and enjoying it again. Um, and it'd be good to sort of see a lot of players get game and see what our best players are for the Champions League.
1: I was going to say, Richard, is there anything you'd like to see Guardiola do or try in these games? Because they are effective; they are meaningless now, effectively.
3: Well, I think the the, the main thing here. I mean. I, I'd, I'd be shocked if we're going to see any sudden um stylistic changes from Guardiola. I don't think he's going to use this to practice playing 10 men behind the ball, is he? But, um, It'd be a hell think... of a bold statement, though, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, defend our way into second place. <laughs> um, I think really the, the key is going to be what he does with, uh, with some of the younger players. So, I mean, Foden's, Foden's a first-team player now. Um, it's, it's that simple. He's an absolutely outstanding footballer so it's not um it's not so much about blood in him anymore but it is just more of a chance to get some experience in relatively pressure-free environment um ready for next season when he is going to play a lot more football and he's going to be a key player in this team um but Garcia obviously um Paul's already spoke about I think we're going to see I would hope that we'll see more of him um because there are positions in that defense up for grabs laporte is the only player in um of the center backs who's got an assured position um so I'd like to see more of Garcia because I, I think he's um, just not a great insight but he's a he's a very talented defender
1: what what um, what about some of the uh, the other younger players though like jaden braff or tommy doyle
3: yeah i mean braff I'm, I'm I don't want to sort of pretend to um sort of have, have more knowledge about something than i actually do but obviously is a name that we hear uh touted a lot and you see um the most i've seen of him is the the little clips that do the rounds on twitter and it's very easy to get carried away by somebody just seeing those things which inevitably are highlights um and it's you see players in these sometimes they were just above the level that they're at but that that doesn't necessarily translate into how good they'll be at first team level uh that said those who watch youth football um far far more than i do do seem to rate him and his style of play from what we're told and, and the little bits that we see um he, he does look like an exciting player so if he came on and can in any way uh, replicate that style of play in the premier league get on the ball run at defenders show his skills and a bit of trickery then um yeah, I'd be well up for seeing him, Tommy Doyle. On the, the the handful of occasions that we've seen him in cup games, I think he looks fantastic. Um, the was it Southampton at home in the cup where he started, uh, and he was—I thought he was great, like really, really good. Stood up, stood, stood out as much as anybody else on the pitch. Um, I like the style of midfielder that he appears to be. Again, I'm only basing him on the handful of times that we've seen him in the first team. Um, but I'd, I'd I'd love to see him get a game and, and or at least a hand a, a, two or three times be getting twenty thirty minutes at the end of a game because it's pressure free. We're going to finish second. Um, we've got very winnable games to play where you'd think that putting those players in isn't going to cost us a great deal in those games. Famous last words and all that. Which <laughs> shouldn't it, it shouldn't do because we've got games that City should be winning. Um, so, yeah, I I think that's the key thing to look for. Um, I, I don't want it to become a case of, and it won't be, but I'd, I'd hate it to be a case of just playing youngsters for the sake of it. But I think there is a chance to see who's ready to be making the step up next season to at least be playing the cup games or to be coming on at the end of games like Foden's had to spend a couple of years doing. Um, because actually what we're seeing now is it's a, it's a tried and tested way into the first team. It's a good way of protecting players whilst getting them the minutes. And if they're patient enough to weigh that out, there is a, there are spaces available in the city team um, in in years to come.
1: On the flip side, Paul, is there anybody who is who who is going to be using this time to basically play for their future? And I'm thinking like John Stones, you know, uh, Benjamin Mendy, Nicholas Otamendi, maybe even someone like Ilkay Gundogan.
2: Yeah, so I think Stones. I'm not sure if we're going to see much of him. Um, it doesn't seem to be kind of had much opportunity. Recently, Mendy seems to have come back with a bit of form. He looks sharp, but then he's made you know some you know standout mistakes. Um, but I think it was it was important that Mendy came back better. And the, the best we've seen of him has been these few games actually. Gundogan, I think he's. Um, I'm glad we re-signed him. I think he's he's kind of always seems a bit run-of-the-mill and average, but he's he's actually not. He kind of keeps everything ticking over. I'd like to see Gundogan stay um
1: I, I don't know team. i don't know if it's because i know you kind of like so well but i kind of imagined Gunderwin was one of your sorts of players do you know what i mean i've I, I watched you play football very much in the style of Ilkai gundawin i'll take that yeah
2: sideways <laughs> pass, <laughs> passing yeah um, won't,
1: won't shoot from range sideways passing moans at everybody else no that's not a at all is it
2: yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a an neat and tidy player i think um I think he kind of is a good bridge for Rodri, where Rodri maybe isn't as direct and, and kind of. I think this is an example in the Liverpool game early where the ball came at Gundogan underneath his feet, and he just adjusted it so quickly and passed it off perfectly to someone, and that's the sort of passing he can do. The pass he did to De Bruyne around the wink. I think he's he's kind of perfect in Pep's system, and he's so understated that people might not rate might not rate him, but you need players like that that are going to give the ball to the more creative players. So I think Gundogan should stay. Um, I think Stones is probably the main concern 'cause he he was the big sort of uh you know, a big sign that's not quite paid off. Mendy as well is in a similar similar shape, but you know, there's less competition for Mendy. I suppose, Mendy I,
1: I suppose with Mendy as well, it's almost like like they're gonna to want to recapture some of the fee they paid for him and, and who's gonna pay that at the moment. because exactly, I mean when we paid for him, we were paying for potential as well, weren't we? And somebody um, who'd not had two serious injuries, so yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, another one to think about is Jesus um, with, with Aguero injured. It uh, came off, you know, halfway through the Liverpool game. Um, he's really good at linking it up, but he, he needs more of these opportunities to become this kind of 20, 30 goals a season sort of player. Um, it fits perfectly within the system, but I think, you know, the way he was touted as sort of a super, super... Much more a, a super super kid when he came through. He's not quite that level at the moment. I think he could be if he got
1: a run of games, but it's it's just tough. Yeah, Richard, is there anybody that that you think is is currently playing for the future? Um,
3: I think on really, I'm not sure I could add anybody um, that we haven't already spoken about. I think Stones. Um, I don't even know if he's playing for his future at this point, to be honest. I fear that minds have already been made up about John Stones now. Um, it's taken me a long, long time to get to that point because I still think that the talent that he's got is obvious. I think he's a a, a talented centre-back, he's gifted on the ball. But there is something holding him back um, and it's it was obvious for the last two years in hindsight, when when Pep pulled him out of the runnings um, and, and favoured company on each occasion, when both times you might have thought companies... Well, I mean, obviously, last season, <laughs> his time was up, but that his, his meaningful playing time could have been up. And he always came back in over Stones. So, um, if Stones is playing for his future in any meaningful way, I think it's probably going to have to be a, a hell of an end to the season to, to convince people. And, in fact, the only thing that might save him at City... Is how much they're willing to go out and spend on new centre backs, and the fact that Otamendi is probably worse than him. Um, I think Otamendi's his time is up. Um, Jesus, whether he's playing for his long term future, I don't know, and he's probably not a, a priority to get you know to be selling just yet, unless we got a, a really good offer for him. Um, but my, I'd probably lean the other way on this one than than Paul, um, because I think. What we see with Jesus time and time again now is that he doesn't really grab his opportunities with both hands. Um, I think he has had chances. He's been at the club long enough now that he's not just an up-and-coming prospect. Um, he he did. He's Aguero out of the team and he's he's lost that position and he's lost it every single time. It's looked like that was back on the cards. Um, he, he's patchy. Uh, I like him. I like him a lot. I think he's he's... Again, he's another player, I mean, you can say this about any player that makes it to City's level. He's talented. He was sensational in the win in the burnabout, but he's just not consistent enough. And he, he he's too streaky. I think he, once he's out of form, his, his head massively goes in front of the goal. Um, and then you never know when you're going to see it again. And he, once he hits his straps, it might last four or five games. And then you can't rely on him when when Aguero's out. So. Um, I don't know, again, whether we'd say playing for the future. Um, But he's he's still got, in my opinion, I think Gabriel Jesus has still got a long, long way to go to suggest that his long-term future is as the key striker for City. And that's got to be his aim with Aguero leaving. So, uh, in, in probably the end of next season.
1: Well, we're raising money for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, by predicting City scores this season in our charity bet with William Hill. Funnily enough, nobody saw a 4-0 coming against Liverpool, so we stay on £750 for the campaign so far. Uh, two more chances on this week's show to improve that tally, Southampton and Newcastle. Um, I'm going to start this week because these, my odds are not great. So I'm going to go for uh, I'm for a 2-1 win over Southampton, which is 7 to one and £70, and then a 3-0 win over Newcastle, which is 9 to 2 and £45, if I'm Right. Um, Richard, what are you having for, for Southampton?
3: I'm going to go for a City 3-1 win.
1: Uh, that's 9-1 to and £90. And then Newcastle?
3: Feeling confident with this one. Replicating tonight's score, City 4,
1: Newcastle 0. Uh, that's 13-2, to so £65 if you're right. And uh, Paul, what are you having for Southampton?
2: I will go 3-0. Richard uh, took, took the standard old classic 3-1
1: Classic 3-1 for Paul uh, uh, Unfortunately you've had to, to go for 3-0 That's 7-1 and £70 And Newcastle? I'm going to go one higher than Richard Two higher than you, I'm going to go 5-0 uh, 5-0 is 12-1 to So £120 if you're right uh, You've got to be 18 or over to gamble Prices can change, please gamble responsibly And for more on responsible gambling Have a look at BeGambleAware.org Now it's time to hear from Howard Hawking.
4: of football has been weird you know that already it seems real yet not real the atmosphere in the ground is now controlled by a single person and a few buttons it's now on my bucket list to be in control of those buttons one day the fun you could have substitutes have to social distance but they're fine to play football in close proximity as presumably the virus is allergic to sporting activity but with its return comes opportunities too not for us, the humble fans, who have never been less important to the future of the game. No, this is the big opportunity for football's rulers. In this post-apocalyptic world, it seems anything goes. Piped-in music, piped-in fans, fans on screens or cardboard cutouts, including serial killers. It's all here now, and who knows if it might stay. What were they sneaking next, Once we were all accustomed to mid-half-drink breaks in driving rain and half-time cup drawers? Bigger nets, unlimited substitutions, the match split into quarters, but more likely, that seemingly inevitable European Super League. Then every weekend will be like a lockdown, inasmuch as as I certainly won't be going to football matches. Still, at least the -the over-the-top goal celebrations have been put on hold, as has the crowning of Jordan Henderson as the Premier League's indisputable greatest player. But back to that draw. I can't get it out of my mind. A half-time cup draw. A draw at half-time. Why? Why? Why could it not have been done at full time? One of the teams playing could in theory throw a second half in the knowledge that it was not worth progressing with league travails to deal with. That is, if they knew the draw at half time themselves of course, which may not be the case, and probably isn't. Still, it's an improvement on doing it during the one show, and the most excruciating idea in TV history. Namely, a fan of each team stepping forward to shake hands as a draw is made. For whose benefit are these banal ideas created? You can just imagine the PR company floating these ideas in a meeting room to an enthusiastic nodding from prepubescent lapdogs. But hey, let's keep going. We're most of the way there after all, so we may as well keep going. After all, I've joked in the past about the Carval Cup draw, where the ghost of Thora and Jimmy Cranky will be drawing the balls at 3am from the surface of Titan, Saturn's largest moon. I joked too about the Premier League restarting on the moon back in March, or at least on an oil rig in the North Sea and it was soon touted in the papers as having isolation camps in China. Football is moving further away from sport and more towards entertainment. VAR accessible only to those at home was a further shift towards a TV audience after all. Now of course fans do matter and the Premier League needs them to maintain its brand. The league was built on the idea of English fans devotion to match going and their dedication to the cause. Football in empty stadiums is a tougher sell, even if the TV networks think they can probably get bigger TV audiences out of it. I'm not sure they will, as fans will simply desert the game, this the final of many straws. Hopefully this is all a shrieking overreaction, which they am known to have every now and then, caused by cabin fever at a time when nothing seems normal. We're halfway through 2020 now, yet yeah, it feels like we've squeezed in a century of madness. When fans return to grounds, as of course they will at some point, England no doubt being the last to do so, because, well, you know. Now we can try and reset and try and carry on as before. And so, to the weirdest game of all, the game Manchester City have been gracefully allowed to play at their own ground, as every other match is. Yes, it's Liverpool at home. As a Manchester City fan, I wish to extend, on behalf of all City fans, my eternal gratitude for allowing my football club the great honour of playing their home game at home. It means a lot to us all, and it's very classy of Liverpool to agree to it. "'and I'm not being remotely sarcastic at all,' "'perished the thought. "'Away from the match itself, "'the expected socially distanced guard of honour "'has predictably been getting a bit of attention. "'I see no problem with it. "'I mean, I'd rather it didn't happen, "'but I don't really see much of a problem with it. "'It's fine. "'As I argued on last week's podcast, "'getting the tad worked up in the process, "'it's not embarrassing, really. "'Not to us fans. "'It's how well a poorly City do in reality "'has nothing to do with me. "'I don't play in the team, after all. "'I have no influence.' We're all just for years, hoping for the best. And if the players have any drive at all, and they clearly do, then it will spur them on to improve next season. Danny Murphy was having none of it, though. He's entitled not to like a guard of honour, plenty of others don't either, but commenting that Kevin De Bruyne clapping players that aren't fit to lace his boots rather misses the point, and he's playing wrong anyway, magnificent as Kevin is. I always assumed a two-year-old understood the point of a guard of honour, but clearly I was wrong, though Danny wasn't talk sport, so I guess it was to be expected. Still it was telling that having said something anti-Liverpool Danny Murphy found himself apologising within a day So naive Danny You know you ventured into dangerous territory there That's why many a football journalist down the years Has been told to criticise a certain team at their peril As the comeback would be severe and relentless And so it came to pass And then the 15 year old intern in charge of the BBC Match of the day Twitter account As if this could be the saltiest guard of honour of all time And I'm officially ready to throw my laptop out the window And I was suddenly reminded of why I didn't miss football during the lockdown. It wasn't football Twitter that forced me to wean myself off social media, but all the other terrible things going on in the world, and people's reactions to it. But now that football is back, I'm less equipped to deal with that side of social media than ever. It seems the horrors of 2020 have stripped my armour away. If City were sweeping all before them, then maybe I would feel differently. And the cast decision hanging over the clubs gives me palpitations. I have this horrible feeling the club have messed this up big time and the ramifications of them doing so don't bear thinking about. They could surely have pleaded out their way out of this a long time ago and moved on and yet here we are. But anyway, even if City were the greatest team the world has ever seen, I don't think I'd be embracing football Twitter still. I wouldn't be embracing football like I did six months ago. It's just too exhausting and I and the world have changed. Arguing over God guard of honour remind me that my absences from Twitter are my happiest, even though I can't stay away, an online form of rubbernecking, and deep down I don't want to. It will change, but it will probably take the start of next season for the mindset to alter. A fresh start for us all, though we still may be watching from home. Five subs as a norm, drink breaks, five minute VAR decisions, empty stadia, it means more, DNA, no European football, and stones as our defensive stalwarts. Okay, I've gone too far now. Whatever happens, it's football and we all love it. We'll all be back in the groove eventually, and I can't wait, however long that wait may be. Because without the thrill of my football team, life is immeasurably poorer. So I'm counting down the days until normality. A normality of pretend security checks, the three flights up the south stand, rammed bars at half time, a leaking roof, tram queues, and the joy of the boys in blue hitting the net time after time. It will be worth that wait. Hi, this is Paul Lake and you're listening to The Blue Moon Podcast.
0: Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com slash Blue Moon Podcast.
4: Howard
1: Hock in there. Now uh, we're going to finish with Ask the Panel. Send your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can uh, DM us on there or you can uh, send us a tweet as well. Or you can email us through the website as well bluemoonpodcast.com. Sam Worthington is first up on the emails. Uh, He says, listening to last week's show and hearing how the guys felt about the way Bayern Munich have acted in the Sane transfer, I was a little surprised. I think they've been an utter disgrace and have effectively tapped up Sane for nearly 18 months. With a reported Fee of under fifty million euros. I think they've absolutely had City's pants down. Um, this was an email that that came in before uh, the news this evening that that the images of Sane's transfer had been leaked and uh, Bayern had apologized to City. Uh, so, Richard, I'm going to start with you. How how are you feeling about uh, certainly about how Bayern Munich have gone about this? Well,
3: I mean, it's very. I think it's poor. Because they've done everything so so publicly, um, all the way through, they've had former players openly talking, um, and, and you know players that still wield power and influence at Bayern Munich talking about how great it'd be to have Sané coming in as the star. Um, I think it was uh, the. Oh, the last manager was it? Uh, was it Kovac when he was in charge? Um, forgive me if I've got the name wrong. There. It's a bit of a, a, a mind slip. Um, but he he was openly talking about it, and then I think he got rebuked by the chairman, but or one of the directors. But really, the director making that rebuke was still really making public noises about Sané and Bayern Munich all the way through. They've done they've done a lot publicly, um, and they'll get away with it. So it's disappointing um, because it's not the way that business should be done. And there are, I, th- I think, still rules that are meant to prevent that. And then, yeah, you see pictures of, I mean, I, I appreciate this stuff. Probably it can be quite hard to keep under wraps, but you see pictures leaking before they're meant to, and we all know the deal's done. But as far as I'm aware, San is still a city player. And it's not nice to see him wearing his Bayern Munich shirt and and signing the contract before he's he's actually left Manchester. I bear no ill will against Sané at all, no grudges. I'd actually quite like him to go and fulfil his potential, just never at City's expense. But um, it it leaves a bit of a sour taste because Bayern have been happy to do the business in public and, and... Sane and his representatives are obviously massive beneficiaries of that now. So it is what it is, but it's um, it's not how I, I want to see business done. I wouldn't want City to recruit a player in that manner.
2: Paul, how are you feeling about it all? Yeah, same as Richard, really. Um, it's a bit disappointed. D- disappointed, really. It didn't need to be done in that manner because it was kind of so nailed on the cards, um, you know, even a year ago. And obviously, we've... Sane wanting to play for the, the biggest club in his country as well. It kind of felt a bit like Ronaldo was always inevitably going to play for Real Madrid. It felt like he was always going to go to Bayern Munich. Mm. It's just a shame that it's happened, you know, the year after his, you know, because of the injury this season, we didn't get to see much of him. So a bit disappointed in that sense, because we should have probably cashed in last summer. Um, it's rare that City make profit on players. We've made a profit on Sane, but it doesn't feel like that because of the fact that, you know, if he fulfils his potential, like Richard said, um, you know he he's kind of got all the talent he needs to be kind of one of the best in the world. And I think there's another question coming soon uh, about what we could do to close the gap on Liverpool. We miss Sané a lot this season because he offered something direct and fast, and he offered pace, something that we don't really have in the team. Um, so he is going to be missed by City, and you could see he was missed this season.
1: Well, uh, Paul's just uh, foreshadowed it there. Todd Coombs on Twitter: uh, What does City need to do to close the gap on Liverpool for next season? So, uh, barring getting Leroy Sané back, Richard, what, what what are your thoughts?
3: Um, they need to improve in defence. I think we're, we're almost certainly going to see a centre back signing, um, at least one. Um, and then get rid of VAR. <laughs>
1: Well, that's not, um, that's not going to happen, is
3: it? I so. hope that opposing keepers playing against Liverpool don't throw the ball into their own net or to Liverpool striker's feet. No, um, I, I think defence is the key one. Um, the it, It's not just signing a centre-back, because it sounds dead simplistic to say signing a, a centre-back will make all the difference, but it's what that allows the rest of the team to do. Does it allow Fernandinho to go back into midfield, um, you'd imagine, you know, Fernandinho, like the rest of us and all that, but he's, he's not getting any younger. Um, he's had a season, really, of not playing in midfield, so how his legs will look in that kind of position now um, is a little bit open to question um, over the course of a season. So maybe it'll be a reduced role, but I would rather have him as a, more of a midfield option than a defensive option, not because he can't defend, but the team is better for having him in midfield. Um Stating the obvious, and maybe not much you can do about it because freak occurrences happen. But keeping Laporte fit will be absolutely huge because he's our best defender, and I think will be our best defender regardless of who we sign. Um, and then we need to make sure that that, that Foden, for that he plays all the games that David Silva would have played because that kid is um, is on a, he's on a very quick quick journey to superstardom. He's a. Just an un- unbelievably gifted footballer, um, and he's he's got to play a lot of football, and I think he'll be the difference in a lot of games. And then um, let Kevin De Bruyne wield all the influence that he wants to on <laughs> on any given football game. Because I think um, I, I don't. I'm wary of letting bias creep into this and, and overstating things, but with the usual caveats of Messi, Ronaldo, blah blah blah. De Bruyne, there's nobody playing football better than him anywhere on the planet at the moment, game by game, um, and there's no reason to think that he can't be the best player in the world. And if we win the Champions League, I'm convinced he'll win the Ballon d'Or. So, um, yeah, let him let him do what he wants on a on a football pitch, and pray to um, pray to any god that you believe in that the Peel wins so that we don't run the risk of of losing him at the peak of his career.
1: I suppose Paul as well. I mean, th- th- there is something in that. I mean, I know Richard was joking at the start of his answer there, but there is something in that maybe Liverpool aren't as far ahead as City as the table suggests this season. So actually, closing the gap might not be as ha- as big a task as it seems. I think so. I think,
2: I think like Richard said, there's not much you can do because it's out of your control. But I think the consistency. I feel like we've never had a settled first eleven. Part of that being because of uh, Pep, you know resting players and trying different uh, formations but the back four was just changing so often Um, I think someone's partner the port is going to change it massively hopefully the port not being injured hopefully Zinchenko not being injured and then Sani's injury as well impacted that so I think you know there's been various factors but I think that lack of consistency of of a of a strongest 11 as such has been one of the reasons why whereas Liverpool have had kind of a very obvious front first eleven that's been miles ahead of every other team when it's played. Um, so I'd say that's the main the main focus really trying to establish who our best team is, keeping them fit. Yeah,
1: well, uh, fingers crossed that that's how it looks for next season. Certainly, the signs from uh, from the Liverpool game this week are uh, a positive. Let's put it that way. Uh, but that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Special thanks to my two guests, Richard Burns.
3: Thank you very much, David.
1: And Paul Atherton. Yeah, thanks, moons. If you'd like some more from us, then you can have a listen to our Patreon bonus show. This week we're discussing the teams that we feel a rivalry with, despite there being no obvious connection between them and City. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast on how to sign up. Please don't forget to give the show a rating and a review in all the usual places, and we'll be back next week, so see you then.